Our Father, we come before you, we thank you, we praise you for giving us this opportunity to come before you to understand your process of teshuvah, your process of forgiveness, of repentance, Abba, and we thank you. We thank you for giving us a way, making a door, an avenue for us to come back to you and draw near to you, and you accept us, Father. And I praise you. I ask you, Abba, to open the hearts of many of those who are here today and those who are out in the public who are watching on video, that you open their hearts to receive, Father, their eyes to see and their ears to hear so that they may be healed and return to you in complete repentance, Father. I bless you. I ask you, Father, to give me the wisdom and the words and your spirit be upon me so that I may be able to translate what you have already given me and the wisdom that you have that I have been able to see that you have revealed to me. Let me be able to pass that on and use the words to be able to express those those things that you have shown me. I praise you. I magnify you in all these things in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. All right. So let me get the timer going. All right. So last week we were talking about, sorry, I should not raise my voice because I just caught myself. <laughs> it is going to break pierce ears. So last week we were talking about atonement and salvation and the difference between the two. Salvation is a freely given gift that is for any for all creation because God is a uh, God of creation and he says the whole earth belongs to him and every man belongs to him. So he has given the avenue or the opportunity for every soul to come and draw near to the creator and that is through salvation. But once you salvation has to do with covenant, once you are saved then it's you walking out your salvation which comes with the rules and regulations that he has established or the covenant mandates that he has established that we have part to do and he has his part to do atonement is for uh, is what we need to do to make things right when we have messed up or we've broken uh, sins that can lead to death he has made a way or an avenue for us to return and make things right and that's the process of atonement today we're going to go ahead and talk about the second part uh, part two wait I'm just going to go ahead and oh yeah you jumped me thank you I appreciate it so number two or point two the important things to know about Teshuvah is individuals are trapped by force of habit and there's not a lot biblically speaking on force of habits but as human nature we do know that when you want to stop a bad behavior it takes a lot of practice of the good behavior for it to be embedded in you or when you want to acclimate a new behavior you have to continue practicing until it becomes your nature so it's force of habit and these are things that for those who have ever wanted to quit caffeine we know that you have to go through a withdrawal process and it's a while before you can feel normal or like a human being and you're not feeling green hulk coming through when you have to quit these vices as it is sugars or starting a new exercise routine or quit smoking uh, or anything anything that um and by no means am I saying that caffeine's wrong. By no means am I saying that sugar's bad. And by no means am I saying that, well, smoking, you might want to consider quitting that because that does hurt your body. But if you want to quit smoking, <laughs> it's still a habit that is clings on to you and it's hard to do. So it can take, it can take a, a while for you to do to remove habits from your being from your person so the same thing goes with sinning if you're if you are 
actively practicing a certain trait or a certain behavior or you your certain thoughts that are contrary to the word of God and the word reveals it to you or you've been admonished and you receive it you still have to practice the good habit to get rid of the bad habit uh, so it's changing it's just changing the routine and these are things that we have to understand that when we come to Torah and we are used to one way we have to have patience with ourselves when we are changing our way of life or our thought process or our behavior because it does take time it does take it's it's not overnight uh, these are examples of physical routines or habits um, the same applies to the spiritual habits we need to change our inner dialogue to be able to maintain our flesh in check uh, if we're whole if we are constantly in the habit for example gossiping or holding grudges bitterness these are we have to actively work on not gossiping or bringing it to a force we have to put in our thoughts and actively practicing it out just like doing weights you can't just go to the gym and think that you can do an Ironman triathlon and just go to the gym one day and think you're gonna succeed in this triathlon you're gonna die but the same thing with our habits we have to be able to get extend mercy to ourselves but as long as we are actively working on changing those habits we should we do need to extend compassion and mercy to ourselves so these are habits that need to be broken and a lot of it goes through it's your thinking process that helps you break these habits so going now we're talking about thinking process we're going to talk about uh you are what you meditate on so meditation is really what's going to help you with that habit that that habit breaking or habit forming it's your it's what you're meditating on so psalms 1 2 it says their delight is in hashem's torah on his torah they meditate day and night so if we are meditating on his torah day and night we are going to acquire those good habits uh, not only are we supposed to practice the good habits, but we're supposed to be meditating on those good good habits so that they become part of us. So it's our second, it's our, it's our natural nature. Uh, Joshua 1.8, yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will take care to act according to everything written in it. Then your undertakings will prosper you and you will succeed. Psalms 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and keep my eyes on your ways. Uh, verse 48, I will lift my hands to your mitzvot, which I love, and I will meditate on your Torah. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all of my teachers because I meditate on your instructions. So these are, if we, as long as you are meditating on these uh, good life-giving words, then we are going to automatically be walking this out. So meditating, it is an inner dialogue, and meditating on his words keeps us from following the dictates of our hearts, which is our bad bad, bad habits. So Proverbs 3, 5-7, to 7, talking about meditating, it says, Trust in Hashem with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path smooth. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Hashem and shun evil. So to do not rely on your own understanding and do not be wise in your own eyes is the understanding that if, we are, if we're not relying on our own understanding of how to live life, which is, remember, we, Adam and Eve partook from the tree of good and evil. So there is such a thing as human beings being good and being able to create morals and values 
that are society culturally accepted but does that mean that it's right it could go against the Torah altogether so we have to make sure that we're not relying on ourselves on our own wisdom but that we are meditating on his word and we're walking out what he says is morals ethics and values Matthew 15 18 and 19 it says but what comes out of your mouth is actually coming from your heart and that is what makes the person unclean so we got to make sure that if we're whatever is spewing out of our mouths, if it's unclean, it's because our heart we're not meditating on his word, we're meditating on the things of the world. For out of the heart comes forth wicked thoughts, murder, adulterous, and other kinds of sexual immorality immorality, theft, lies, and slander slaughterers. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, it says, You used to be dead because of your sins and acts of disobedience. So this is what we would be calling the unclean thoughts and the the disobedience, this is why we are coming through this class of Teshuvah. So if we've been, it says that we were dead because of our sins and our acts of disobedience, there is such a thing as being able to be redeemed from those thoughts and those actions of acts of disobedience. Uh, it says, you walked in the ways of this world, the present age, and obeyed the ruler of the powers of the air who are still at work among the disobedient. So if we are friends with those who are disobedient or walk contrary to the Torah, then these are things that we need to be evaluating and remove those friendships or remove those influences from our lives. Our friends don't have to be Torah observant, but if there are those who are not not teaching us to stray from the word, who is not motivating us to commit idolatry, who's not motivating us to live and uh, to live unclean or break commandments that are going to separate us from or who's going to make us unclean, we can still be friends with those individuals who are respecting covenant our covenant values. We don't need to break those friendships or destroy those relationships because we are to be a light unto the world. How are we to be a light unto the world if we're not communicating with the world or at least uh, extending uh, that that open door to the world it's those who are going to lead us to the pits or those who are going to lead us to darkness those who are encouraging us to commit idolatry or to fornicate etc etc sexual immorality that's what when we need to detach and separate from those individuals so it is habit breaking number two is to break habits and in order for you to break habits, you have to be working, meditating on something. And that meditation needs to be the Torah. Once you have been meditating on, then you are actively walking it out so that you have the habit forming or break the old habit and, and form new ha- good habits. So the third thing is, uh, so the sages say that Teshuvah was created before the world itself. Now this was a hot topic last time. Now we're going to actually dive in and I'm going to actually give evidence of what I'm referring what I am actually talking about. So, Revelation 13:8. Everyone living on earth will worship it, which is the dragon, except those whose name were written in the book of life belonging to the lamb, slaughtering before slaughtered before the world was founded. That is what I that's what we are referring to that Teshuvah was created before the world itself and we're talking about creation of this earth. Those who have ears, let them hear. So the sacrificial system is the process of Teshuvah. And that is what was created before Adam was created. Or I wish to say, the lamb was slaughtered. So the opportunity of us Teshuvah, or the process of returning, happened when he was slain. And it says in Revelation that it, was, that it occurred before, the, before Adam 
was created. So the sacrificial system is part of the process of Teshuvah. And Hashem's sacrificial system is atonement, was created before, the, before he created the world. This means that when sin entered the world, Lucifer's fall, that's when sin entered, is when pride, pride was found in Lucifer. The lamb was slaughtered before Adam was created. So be, there God saw Lucifer, all of that took place before mankind was created before day before day one of creation that that took place and we see messiah talking that he saw lucifer falling like a lightning bolt onto onto earth but this is before the creation of man and we're and that's that system of teshuvah or the atonement process occurred at that time in creation or of existence so Yeshua purifies sins. Yeshua is the one who purifies our sins while our righteous deeds atones for our sins. So it says, knowing that mankind would need help in the process of Teshuvah, he included the power of repentance through Yeshua before he made creation. Psalms 25, 8-10 says, Adonai is good and he is fair. This is why teachers, this is this is why he teaches sinners the way to live, leads the humble to do what is right, and teaches the humble to live in to live his ways. And all Adonai's paths are grace and truth to those who keep his covenant and instructions. From the book itself, the book of Gateway, this is quoted from uh, Rabbi Yonah. And it says, moreover, he makes Teshuvah available even to the worst sinners. Even if people sinned and rebelled excessively against him and were absolutely treacherous, he still did not shut down, shut the doors to Teshuvah upon them. And indeed, he encourages them to repent. That is Psalms, 20, Psalms 25 verses 8 through 10. Isaiah 31.6 People of Israel, return to him whom you have been so deeply disloyal. And I am going to eventually here I'm going to give you an example of, of the proof that he gives even the worst sinners the opportunity to repent. So Jeremiah 3.22 says, Return backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. That's Jeremiah 3.22. Okay, so point number four is Teshuvah is accepted even when it's motivated by suffering. accepted even when it's motivated by suffering Deuteronomy 4.30 says in your distress when all these things have come upon you in the ends of days you will return to Adonai your God and listen to what he says so he is going to use a calamitous tool used by the Lord to get our attention when we have sinned against the creator so how are we supposed to know that we've done something wrong parents you have children when your child does something wrong there's a rule in the house, there's a halakha in the home, how's the child going to know that he has done wrong if, you don't, if he doesn't get 
first he gets taught and that's what he did in Mount Sinai he taught the elders were in charge to teach your children so that part has been done now when they have broken or done a broken a rule what do you do is well you you pull the child there's still calamity the child is being yelled at or their attention is being brought they're being pulled there's some kind of discomfort that is taking place in order for the child to realize uh, that's not I'm, I don't want to do that again now we're gonna go ahead and and remember I told you a minute ago I was gonna show you evidence of even the most wicked that he even opens the doors to the most wicked Ahab is the example that I'm gonna show you Ahab repented when calamity was to was gonna fall on him and he fell on his face in sackcloth and ashes so even suffering gives him it gave him the motivation to repent and the door of repentance was open to him and we're going to read it we're going to see that in first kings 21 17 and 29 if you guys if you have read kings if you know ahab ahab is the husband of jezebel he's like the one of the most wickedest of all kings in in the northern kingdom and if anybody deserves to go to hell it would have been him and if anybody deserves not to be forgiven it would have been them so we're going to read what how he what he what god's mercy and compassion really looks like so first kings 21 but the word of the lord came to eliyahu from tishbe get up go down and meet ahab king of israel who lives in shimron right now he is in the vineyard of nevot and he has gone down there to take possession of it this is what you are going to say before i go with what God is going to tell Ahab what happened is this Ahab wanted the field of this other guy he found it to be a choice vineyard and he was going to buy it from him and he said I'm not going to sell it to you so what they ended up doing Jezebel ended up doing is uh, conspiring with others and they ended up killing him and Ahab took possession of the vineyard so now the Lord saw what happened the crime has been committed and this is what the Lord tells Ahab here's what the Lord says you have committed murder and now you are stealing the victim's property also say to him here is what Hashem says in every place where dogs licked up the blood of Navat, dogs will lick up your blood yours Ahab said to Eliyahu my enemy you found me he says yes I have found you because you have given yourself over to do what is evil from Hashem's perspective from Hashem's perspective here says Hashem I am bringing disaster on you I will sweep you away completely I will cut off from Ahab every male whether a slave or free in Israel I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nabat and like the house of Basha the son of Ahijah for provoking my anger and leading Israel into sin Hashem also said this about Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall around Jezreel. If someone from the line of Ahab dies in the city, the dogs will eat him. If he dies in the countryside, the vultures will eat him. Truly, there was never anyone like Ahab who stirred up by his wife, Jezebel. He gave himself over to do what is evil from Hashem's perspective. His behavior in following idols was grossly abominable, and he did everything the Amori had done whom Adonai expelled ahead of the people of Israel and Ahab on hearing these words tore his clothes so he's got the judgment set upon him he didn't like what the father said that was going to be his judgment so it actually pierced his heart and he fell on his face he tore his clothes he put on sackcloth 
and he and humbled himself by fasting. He stepped into the sackcloth and went about dejectedly. Then the word of Hashem came to Elijah, and he says, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Since he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring this evil, evil during his lifetime, but during his son's lifetime, I will bring evil on his house. So in order to avoid suffering, Ahab repented after hearing what was the consequence of his actions. So Hashem acknowledged Ahab's humbling humility by he actually acknowledged it and saw it. And this is actually a testimony of God's mercy and compassion because mankind are grass. He knows that we are, we are here temporary. We will wither away. So a wicked man like Ahab can find mercy before the Creator. Anyone who is even the slightest more humble than Ahab will find mercy in the eyes of the Creator. So Hashem recognizes the frailty of, man, of the human condition. Uh, all it takes is humility to activate the mercy of the Creator. And as that's what he will do for us, guess what? He's expecting us to extend that to someone else. So woe to those who don't humble themselves before the Creator. So that is the reason why motivation, even, even suffering, he accepts it. Even as a, I don't want that consequence to befall on me, he even sees that as valid versus we are like, no, I want to see repentance. I want to see, see you get, feeling regret before I even forgive you. That's not how our creator is. So if he's able to extend this compassion and mercy to Ahab, who absolutely does not deserve it, we have to be like our, our master. That is a commandment. We are to extend this to one another. So if our master is willing to extend mercy and compassion to Ahab, we have to be able to extend compassion and mercy to one another. So the next one is uh, Hashem helps those who repent. He helps those who repent. So the book says, He will renew in them a pure spirit that enables them to attain the noble trait of loving Him. So if you are repented, He is going to renew you by putting a pure spirit that's going to give you the noble trait of loving Him. Psalm 5110 uh, is evident of that. Create in me a clean heart renew in me a pure spirit Deuteronomy 32 is another evidence of that you will return to Hashem your God and pay attention to what he has said which will be exactly what I am ordering you to do today you and your children with all of your heart and all of your being so in order to do that you will return when you teshuvah you will then listen to what he has to say. And I'm gonna, we're going to expound a lot more in details of what is to regret your sin. And how, how this verse, when we teshuvah, we will then be paying attention and we will be doing exactly what he says and what gets us there. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Then Hashem your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children so that you will love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your being, and thus you will live. But guess what? Circumcision of the heart does not come easy. It comes with calamity. It comes with punishment. It comes with pain, with suffering. Because uh, mankind does not willingly love the Creator. That was one of the consequences of Adam partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is not a natural thing for us to surrender and submit to a creator even though our being is embedded in our DNA 
to worship something, it is not naturally easy for mankind to love the Lord our God with our hearts or our souls. It actually ta- it is it is a very very specific few who are born naturally with that with that just knowing that he exists. Not all mankind has that. It's very, very few individuals. Uh, if you're looking at the Bible, I mean, it is like, I can count them by my hands. That's how few individuals are actually, compared to the masses that are born, with that supernatural understanding that there's a creator and since very little. So the circumcision of the heart means that Hashem will purge the heart of any desire for sin and any selfishness. And the only way you're going to get purged, well, the only way you're going to get circumcised heart is to be purged for purging that means fire, that means hurt, that means pain, suffering. Circumcision, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 36. Here the days are coming, says Hashem, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jehuda. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, because for their part violated my covenant, even though I, from, from my part, was a husband to them says Hashem for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days I will put my Torah within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people no longer will any of them teach his fellow community members or his brothers know Hashem for all will know me from the least of them to the greatest because I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more Uh, this is what Hashem says who gives the sun as light for the day and who ordered the laws for the moon and the stars to provide light for night who stirs up the sea until it until its waves roar Adonai Savaot is his name if these laws leave my presence then the offering of the offspring of Israel will stop being a nation in my presence forever circumcision it's not going to be something that you choose to do again we're fighting the nature to rebel and to be contrary and to be disobedient that's just the nature of man you want to pride and pride is embedded in us we want to do it our way and the way we want to do it Ramban says that Hashem your God will circumcise your heart refers to the time of Mashiach but this guy uh, Jonah actually says that the period Hashem will circumcise the heart of man by purging it out of the desire of forbidding things Uh, then man will naturally choose good and his nature will be the way it was before the sin of Adam, the first man. But Rabbi Jonah says that the verse applies all times. It's not just in the reign of Mashiach. It's actually today. And refers to every person who sincerely engages in Teshuvah. So the process of Teshuvah is going to give us the ability to to walk in a circumcised heart. Then the book of Hebrews expounds on the purpose of the sacrificial system of Yeshua and his blood does what goats and calves cannot accomplish and that is to purify our consciousness from the works that leads to death. Uh, This is what is referred to the circumcision of man's heart. So Messiah dying on the cross in the book of Hebrews, we will go into more into details a little further in our studies. What this we're going to what does this mean purging our conscience? And all the purpose of having the sacrificial system. So, point six. Do not delay to Teshuvah. Delaying Teshuvah is actually a really big problem. Very bad. You do not want to delay Teshuvah. 
The fear of heaven is what keeps one from sinning. So if you are delaying teshuvah, is because you do not have the fear of heaven. It causes you to teshuvah when you have sinned. The fear of heaven or contemplating the awe of God is what's going to assist you in being able to repent. Not delay repentance. So delaying repentance shows that the individual pretty much just, just doesn't care. So you're told you're done wrong, and you told you're done wrong, and you told you're done wrong again, and you don't repent, or you don't return, or you don't do the steps necessary to stop doing that behavior, meaning uh, deal with the offenses that are causing you to stay in that behavior, or addressing your your injustice, or addressing your um, injury. If you don't actively do something to get you off of that path, that means that you pretty much just don't care and you want to be lord over your own life and continue doing it your way i'm going to i'm going to read a parable yes i did bring it i'm going to read you a parable that has to do with the delaying of teshuvah and this is the jonah's parable rabbi jonah Okay, so our sages, blessed uh, the blessed memory, it says, it cannot, it, uh, it can be compared by a way of a parable to a group of bandits that the king locked up in prison. They dug a tunnel through which they broke out of the prison and escaped, but one of them remained behind and ignored the opportunity to go free. The warden of the prison came along and saw that the tunnel was dug open. But this man was still confined in the prison. What was the warden's reaction? He beat the prisoners with his staff. The prisoner that was left behind. He said, you miserable fellow. Why? The tunnel is wide open before you. How can you not have hurried to flee for your life? The commentator of the rabbi explains this. So the, the purpose of the parable is that the prisoner's failure to take advantage of the opportunity to escape is the process of teshuvah shows that he is not disturbed by being imprisoned he loves being in prison one might wonder though what did he do to deserve a beating why he actually followed the law you know most of us most blue would be like wait a minute he stayed in prison he, he should get rewarded he followed the law there's no he didn't he did not jump the fence he didn't he was not redeemed by the government he did good by staying in prison but that's not the way the mentality of our forefather says it says while his fellows committed a crime by escaping the answer is that the warden does not beat him as a punishment for remaining behind he didn't actually get the beating for staying and being obedient you know i'm gonna i'm gonna finish my time he actually got beaten in order to awaken him from his apathetic stupor no self-respecting person is able to remain in prison when the door is open before him. The only explanation for why the prisoner did not escape is that he had been given up hope of ever leaving prison and resuming a productive life. Such a numb person will not react to anything except harsh blows, and it is actually an act of mercy to beat him until he comes to his senses. Similarly, a sinner is imprisoned by his desires and his habits, and teshuvah is, is his passage to freedom. 
He can gain release from the shackles of his evil inclination, his Yetzirah, and escape Hashem's wrath by taking his situation to heart and repenting. If, however, he does not have the sensitivity to feel remorse for his sins, he invites heavenly affliction, which is the warden's staff, which he will not be able to ignore and which will propel him to finally do Teshuvah. So this, this teaches us that those who have lost hope or are complacent in their wrong, in their in their sin, they are. This is this is who I am. I've always been this way, and there's no. I can't change. Nobody's going to change me. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to stay this way. They're the ones that that needs the rod of the warden. Uh, it's necessary to jolt them out of the state of complacency. So, what does this mean? It means that no remorse invites the affliction of heaven. So, anyone who doesn't have the sensitivity to feel remorse or be awakened from his sins invites the affliction of the heaven upon him so the warden's rod or the affliction is is the affliction from say, from heaven so our calamity our curses the things we go through it, it, you got a hole in your pocket it seems like there's a hole in your pocket you can never you're always robbing Paul to pay Peter or uh, relationships, troubles with relationships, etc., etc. Those are the afflictions sent by heaven. And the answer to the problem is increase your fear of heaven. So genuine remorse of sin that we feel is a bitterness of heart, trembling with worry and shedding of tears in sorrow is, is how we feel remorse for the sins that we have committed. So we would have bitterness of heart. We would be trembling. We would be worrying. We would be shedding tears. And that's Psalms 51. I'm going to give you a very common Psalms. And we've always understood it in a different... Are you guys done with this page? So I'll wait. Psalms 4 verse 5 and that one says be angry and sin not but Rabbi Jonah actually has a different interpretation of what we commonly understand it to be interpreted Jonah interprets this verse to say be angry in in repentance over the sins that you committed and as a result you will not sin again so being angry he's actually saying to we he wants us to be angry about what we have done so that it encourages us not to do it again and we don't we there is the very popular commentary that says that we have we have feelings we have the right to be angry but we are not to sin within our anger not to create not to not to engage in wrath i do like this interpretation uh that he connected this verse 
towards ourselves, be angry about what you have done. Be angry at yourself for the things that you have done so that it can encourage you. It'll be another uh, motivator for us not to repeat those things. So the, commentator, the commentator's note on this, it says, uh, Thus the expression, be angry and do not sin, teaches that if one contemplates his misdeeds and comes to sincerely regret them, he will not repeat them. to be angry but we are also to re to be regretful that's a word for sins so if we if we regret our sins it helps us avoid sinning the evil inclination subdued uh, when one consider the damages of our sins evil inclination is the yetzehara which is the, the the desire to go against the word of God it's that urging is that temptation it's it's the, the force behind temptation. And every human being has it because Adam did not say no to the tree. Thank you, Adam. So evil inclination uh, is the highest level of teshuvah. I'm sorry, the highest level of teshuvah is when a person still has the desire to sin and has the opportunity to sin, but finds the strength to conquer the evil inclination. Adam had the opportunity to sin. He could have said no, but he failed, so he gave in to the evil inclination which is the serpent in the garden opportunity for teshuvah why a learned individual because they're going to be studying the torah all the time and they're going to recognize instantly that inner desire of their flesh to want to rise and rule they will quickly take it under control and say no we're not doing that but sometimes the flesh takes over and when they recognize that they had no control then they go through the process of teshuvah ignorant individuals lie asleep to spiritual obligations and do not have the wisdom or insight to flee quickly from the evil of sin. Ignorant people are those fools that are all over Proverbs, all over Psalms. And why are they fools? Because they choose to not study the word of God. Now remember, all of this applies to those who are in covenant. We're not talking about those goyims who are not in the covenant of 
Hashem, who are not in the covenant of Israel. Those who take away from the word, this doesn't apply to them. This needs this will apply to them when they recognize their sins and then they go through this process. You're more than well, this process will apply. But they are they're under they qualify under the ignorant category. Those who add to the word of God follow under the same guidelines. Because if you add or take away, it's one and the same. You still need to go through this process of Teshuvah for adding and yoking your brother and not allowing them to enter the kingdom of heaven. You yoke yourselves, you don't enter, and you don't let them either. So which, now we're going to go and look within ourselves. So which individual are you? Which person are you? Are learned or are you an ignorant individual? And only you can answer that question. Please don't look around the room and say, hmm. So Proverbs 14, 16. Uh, it says, okay, which person are you? One who takes their spiritual life serious or one who is ignorant and doesn't study Torah? We can be ignorant individuals but inspiring to be learned. So let's take the opportunity that Hashem is giving us to increase our fear of heaven so that we can be wise to shun from evil. We're going to be learning this week about those who are being counted. We are to teach our children the Torah, but it comes to an age where you are responsible for your own studies. It's your job to get your nose in the book and, de and dig. This is no longer your father's faith. This is your faith. So Proverbs 14, 16, A wise person fears and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and overconfident. We don't want to be overconfident. Delaying Teshuvah shows that the individual doesn't care and that he or she has sinned, and this delay is actually damaging the individual. Delaying Teshuvah will cause you to fall into your own trap, and of committing the same sin over and over again and the evil inclination uh, it's delaying teshuvah gives place to the evil inclination so when you delay it you're giving it you're giving evil inclination its place its authority and we don't want evil inclination to have authority to take its place says uh, committing the same sin finds you with greater guilt and your wickedness will rise before Hashem so found of greater guilt because you find the acts as permitted in your eyes permissible acts erases the feelings of guilt you no longer feel that guilt if it's allowed you don't need to feel guilt because it's allowed your inclination of sin embeds into your soul and it's fixed into your nature. The commentator says that when a person commits the same sin over and over again, it forms into a permissible act and the person erases his feelings of guilt and this causes his inclination towards sins to be embedded into his soul. It becomes fixed into his nature the more he does it. So the more... If you're, if, if you're a money-hungry type of individual and you're one who is stingy with your money and the poor comes and asks, you're not going to give it to the poor. You're going to justify why that person doesn't deserve it. 
And you will be very proud and say, I am being a good steward with my money. When God says, no, you're perverting, you're, you're not taking care of the poor, and that is one of the commandments. Huge commandment. You are to help the poor at all cost. That's just an example of many. commentary is the meaning of you just do as a result of your repeating them the evil deeds that you committed becomes permissible behavior for you and you begin to view them as something that is within your ability and your authority to do just like proverbs 26 11 says just as a dog returns to his vomit a fool repeats his folly so i'm going to give you a scripture that summarizes this point is second peter 2 21 through 22 in 2 Peter 2, 21 and 22, it says, It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than fully knowing to turn from the holy command delivered to them. What has happened to them accords with the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. Yes, the pig washed itself only to wallow in the mud. We're going to go to point seven which is breaking the master's yoke. Messiah said something about breaking the yoke. So uh, Rabbi Yonah says, For if a servant should say to his master, Every instructions that you give me, I will carry out, except for the one specific thing that I refuse to do. He has with this one exclusion, has already broken his master's yoke from upon him and indicated that he will always do as he pleases. So removing the master's yoke is saying that you are no longer a servant even though you may do all the commandments, all the other commandments. So master's yoke means that you will do everything that master says, even if you don't understand it, even if you want to argue about it, even if you don't, you don't see the relevance, you have to do it. So the removing of the master's yoke is no longer a servant, and you're going to cherry-pick the commandments. And Yeshua said in Matthew 11, 29 and 30, He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest upon your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A true servant never ignores the command of the master. So he says he's meek and lonely. What should we be? And if we're not meek and lowly, it's because we are cherry-picking our commandments. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For loving God means obeying his commands, and moreover, his commands are not burdensome. Okay, we're going to go to point 8. 
Always be mindful of sins. Be aware of your sin helps you resolve them. Establishing what sin is. Now, Romans 7, 7. What is sin? Therefore, what are you to say? That the Torah is sinful? Heaven forbid. Rather, the function of the Torah was that without it... Go back. Oh, no. What happened? Sorry. (laughs) Heaven forbid. Rather, the function of the Torah was that without it, I would not have known what sin is. For example, I would not have become conscious of what greed is if the Torah had not said, you shall not covet. So what is the yoke that we are to have around our neck is the the purity of Torah. The purity of Torah is the yoke we are to carry, which is light. It is not burdensome. There are traditions that can be adapted that might that are not burdensome it's not necessarily uh, breaking the commandment by adding those traditions but if they are traditions we need to recognize them as traditions and not yoke our brethren if they choose not to apply those traditions in their household Rabbi Jonah recommends that we keep a journal and review it daily. I have told this to my women every time we get a new book or a new concept. We need a journal, 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 get our thoughts. Are we, are we colliding with those concepts? Are we, uh, is our soul fighting with these, these ideologies or these commandments or this idea of how God wants us to walk? And let's discuss them. For reviewing our sins daily, be mindful to resolve, overcome habits formed. It helps us to be mindful to resolve the sins that are in our lives if we are actually seeing them. If we're writing them down, we have to con- we have we have no other choice but to recognize them. If we're true to ourselves, we have to it helps us to overcome the habits formed through habitual sinning. It also causes us to be humble before the creator and helps us to never stop Improving, We have to always improve our walk, which is what they're talking about. You have to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. So always be mindful of your sins. As the Torah portions comes around and it's and Richard is teaching us a concept and it's something that we feel in our souls that it's fighting against, especially with the obligations of Shabbat or the, law, the rules and regulations re, uh, that are, are surrounding Shabbat. If our souls are, are fighting those, those laws or those, stand, those regulations, we need to face the music and recognize why. If writing them down keeps us accountable to ourselves to be truthful and honest and us be able to address that within our hearts we're going to go to point nine one can obtain complete atonement how you say well when no when there's no deceit in the heart we can complete the process of atonement we can complete atonement. It refers to the erasing of the sin that is bef- that you know he says that our deeds are written in a book, and we are going to be judged based on those deeds, good or bad. We're going to get rewarded or consequences depending on those deeds. So that means that he's keeping a record. But if we atone for those deeds, those deeds will not will be erased from those books. So Hashem will not ascribe the sin to that individual. It is as if they had never sinned, and there's such a thing as partial atonement which is the basic regretting, forsaking, and confessing, but the partial atonement only delays the actual consequence. 
of that particular crime for the later date, just like the story with Ahab. It didn't happen in his time, but guess who did get the punishment? His seed. Okay, now we're going to get into number 10, which is, wow, talked about stained garments versus a sinful person. We got nine minutes to do this, people. Ah, <laughs> uh, the boss is right here. <laughs> okay, stained garments versus sinful person. Okay, let's understand this, try to figure this out. Okay, Leviticus 14 and Revelation 3, 4. I want you guys to just write those two references down, and I'm going to give you an explanation of this page. Okay, so the Torah teaches that if we have contaminated ourselves with something unclean, car, uh, we have a, a dead carcass, uh, we have, we've contaminated something unclean, that's Leviticus 14, that tells us what to do. Then we need to go through this ritual that takes us from the unclean to the clean state. So with the stained garments, one become one commits sin and he stains his garment is the beginning of the stages of contaminating your soul. It's just like you grabbing something that is unclean. So for example, if there's a leper, if leprosy is found on you, on the day of your purification, the Kohen is to sprinkle the person with blood of the dead bird, taking the live bird with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop. That's Leviticus 14. So that the leprosy is inflicted onto an individual who is guilty of, who's guilty of pride, evil speech, jealousy. Uh, these are the crimes that are birthed from the heart, contaminating your soul. So that is the stained garments. If you are an individual that you have, we all are born with pride. We are born with uh, with with jealousy, envy as little kids. Observe little kids and how they are with one another. You have to teach them to share. Don't covet. You have to teach them to be kind. You have to. These are things that you we naturally have. This is a stained garment. As we become, that just means that I uh, one day we just had a we had a conversation, and in that conversation, my flesh reared up, and I. I acted proudly or I spoke proudly or I spoke uh, with, with, the, with emotions and I allowed myself to uh, behave the way the Torah tells me not to behave. I stained my garments. Okay, now the garments, are we not to, isn't he not going to give us garments in the day of resurrection? We're going to get white linen. So there is relevance to the garments. The garment is, a, is another word for your soul, for your flesh, for, I'm sorry, for your soul, for your, for your nephesh. What's the word? The soul with the spirit. Your conscience. Neshama. Alright, this teaches us that our thoughts does contaminate the soul of a person. So the New Testament is full of these the idioms of washing our sins, cleansing our soul, sprinkling us with the blood, making us acceptable to Hashem, making us clean, etc., etc. So we have to change. Our, we, everybody's going to have their garments stained, which is why we have to be handed new linen garments when we resurrect. So as long as we're in this decaying body, we are going to be staining those garments. A sinful person, on the other hand, is one who it is embedded in their soul. So a sinful, when one who has stains of their, their, their original stains, but has chosen to allow those stains to penetrate into their soul. So for example, Revelations 3, 4 says, Nevertheless, 
you do have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. I mean, this is Messiah talking to us about their clothing. They will walk with me clothed in white because they are worthy. He who wins the victory will, like them, be dressed in white clothing. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In fact, I will acknowledge him individually because my father, I mean, sorry, before my father and before his angels, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the Messianic community. So the garments is referring to our, our souls, our thoughts, our hearts. It's not so much talking about our clothing, it, it, but it's an idiom. It's those, the idioms of garments are all over the Torah, all over the New Testament, all over the prophets. So we see that we act proudly or we covet or we have jealousy. We stain our soul. This is Cain. Give you a perfect example. When he got angry that his, his sacrifices was not acceptable, at that moment his, he, he stained his garments. But when he actually killed his brother, that stain turned into a sinful act which made him a sinful person. So it's when we're not actively cleaning our garments that is causing us to become a sinful person so the stained garments is the is it's sin which is the grime on our soul it's just like a ketchup on a white t-shirt everybody's ever everybody's ever had this experience if you take care of it right away it will not soak into the fibers that's the basic form of teshuvah so taking care of that ketchup stain as soon as it lands on you you can wipe it off guess what there's residue but you have to go and use water and wash it off for it not to penetrate. But as soon as if you leave it there, if you leave the ketchup there long enough, it will seep through the fibers. And no matter how much washing, you will always have that stain on your clothes. So to remove the blemish left behind from the ketchup, the shirt needs to go through a much deeper cleaning process, which is what we could call bleach or tide. That's going to help us go through that process. That's, those are the deeper layers of teshuvah. Oxyclean is another one, yes. So ketchup. Take care of it right away. Sinful person. One who has the habitual practices of the sin embedded in their soul, which is the person who left their ketchup for 20 minutes or 30, is now part of their person. It's part of their being. It's part of who they are. It's their nature now. When a person stops the sin itself, or the basic levels of Teshuvah makes that person no longer a sinful person, but now he or she has to work in removing the stain, which is the deeper layers of Teshuvah. Um, the sin is left behind. So this takes the con the the this takes the constant renewing of the mind. This is how we're going to be able to clean or remove the stains. Is the renewal of the mind, which is Romans twelve two. In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of this world, which is the, fle this, the fleshly world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. Okay, so those are the evidence of the ten points that I had mentioned earlier. We only have a minute and 50 seconds, so I'm going to stop right here. Next or next time we come together, we're going to talk about uh, scriptures, why we should do deeper layers or levels of Teshuvah.